You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Worship the Lord and continue doing that in His Word. So take out a copy of God's Word that hopefully you have with you and turn once again to the book of 1 Samuel as we're making our way into this book in the Still in the first chapter, but we're moving along here. First Samuel chapter 1. On your way there, I have a picture. We were thinking last week about Samuel's birth with Hannah and her barrenness and the Lord closing the womb. Josie Harkin, I don't know if she was here today. Wave your hand if you're here, but I don't see her. Was thinking about Noah's Ark and Noah's family and out on the ark. And I think there's the eight, yeah, there was the eight people there. Uh, in there, nine, seven, eight. I'm, now I'm blanking on numbers, but she's got the picture there for you, Noah and the ark, and you remember that story as well. God's saving a people through judgment, and he continues to do that through the cross of Christ, the door of Christ. So thank you, Josie. Thank you for those that are drawing pictures. You, you find places to leave them where I can find them. Thanks for putting your name on them when you think of it. That's helpful to me, but it's great to have you part of this uh, service together, part of our time. Well, hopefully by now you're in 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to be studying verses 21 through uh, 28, but let me just go back to verse 19 to kind of get us into where we're at, remind us a little bit of where we were, and let's listen to God's Word this morning. It says, They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever." Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Would you pray once again with me? Lord, we do petition you as well, and we pray for this particular time. Lord, a time you've governed and ordained, Lord, that each one is here, seated here today to hear from your word. And so I pray for your spirit to work within the one giving the message and the one hearing the message Lord, that we would both be in submission to the one, to you as our Lord and our King, to whom all honor and glory is due. 
And so we pray that that submission and that recognition of your authority, even the gospel, Lord, would be seen through this particular section here in Samuel about a a little boy being given over to the Lord. So give us understanding here by your spirit as we approach your word this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, we're going to head right back into our text and this vow of Elkanah. You see here, verse 21, Elkanah's house, they go up again. They went up, verse 21, to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. Something they've done, we're used to this from what we've already read. But vows here continue to play a role, don't they, in this account of Elkanah and Hannah and Samuel. But in this particular verse, it's paying his vow, the vow of Elkanah is in view. So the making of vows, we talked a little bit about last week, not a particularly odd practice uh, for those in Israel. Even Leviticus speaks about the, the vow offering, and it talks about this vow offering in connection with at least the burnt offering and the, the peace offering. The question here is, is Elkanah's vow, was it related to Hannah's vow? Remember her vow from verse 11, you know, if you provide a son, I will give him to the Lord. Is this Elkanah, is is he a vow? And perhaps, that's the best I can answer is perhaps. More than one commentator thinks so, and so all I can offer is, we can't be sure, but it seems like perhaps Elkanah, the husband, had, had made his own vow. But then again, we might ask just a little deeper, why vows in the first place? Why do vows need to be made? What's behind at least maybe some of the talk of vows in the Old Testament? And just to bring this out from what I've studied, at least one explanation seems to zero in on something kind of interesting in regards to vows, and that is the result of the fall of mankind in sin. How is fall, sin, how is that related to a vow. Not that the vow is sinful in itself. We think of wedding vows. But it seems like the default, the temptation of mankind is to go back on his word. That what we say, maybe the next day we wish we wouldn't have, and we're kind of finding the loopholes in it. That's, the, you know, maybe the desire to go back on our word, to not carry through, or to maybe lie in order to get something done. You know, like I will, you know, that, that whole cross my fingers, they were this way. Okay. That, Not that, but, I mean, you get that idea. So the emphasis in Israel, I think here with this vow and with this passage, the emphasis is keep your word. What you vow is a a vow to keep. So, So if you make a vow, like we said last week, follow through on what you've said you're going to do. It's important. The fall is here, the, the desire to get out of something, but keep it. Follow through on that vow. To which then, verse 22 presents us with a sort of question or maybe a doubt about Hannah herself. Look at verse uh, 22. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. So Hannah's vow, again, verse 11, she's going to give, if, if the Lord grants her a son, if he gives her a son, she's going to give him to the Lord to give Samuel all the days of his life. No razors shall touch his head. It's a vow, really, that Samuel would be set apart as holy, be given over to the Lord. But, but here's the setting, maybe for the reader. Here's Elkanah. He's ready to take the family up. Once again, they're going to Shiloh, and Hannah does not go up. 
And her reasoning is, well, she needs to care for the child first, to feed him at her breast, to nurse him, and then she's gonna, then she'll bring him up to the Lord. In fact, the wording here even has a sense of, I think, surely I'm going to bring him up, as in it's as good as done. You can trust me, I just need to wait until he's weaned. Now, regarding that weaning, one commentary writes the Israelite custom for weaning, that is when this child is no longer dependent on the mother's nursing him, that occurred around when the child was three years old. And so Alfred Edersheim, I've used him before, is great, you know, uh, Christian but Jewish background to help us understand. He says this, he says, a Hebrew child would be fit for some ministry, maybe age three, even though the care of him might partially devolve on one of the women who served at the door of the tabernacle. So think of this. Maybe if Samuel's three and she's taking him up to give him over and, you know, well, can we trust the women at the tabernacle? If you think of that, think of the day. We're going to get to this in a little bit. That's kind of hard to be trusting those women at the tabernacle in this day. Nonetheless, back to verse 22. We'll look at it a bit. I don't think we need to take anything from this that Hannah's trying to get out of her vow or just hold on, if I could just hold on to the child that much longer. Um, even one commentary notes, only the men really were, were obliged to attend the solemn feast anyway. So it's not that she was obliged or obligated to do this. Hannah wanted to wait to go up. But the waiting itself, it had a purpose. The, the weaning till he's weaned and, and an expiration date. And so then when she had weaned Samuel, then surely she would bring him, him up. While we're here, while we're thinking about this and, and weaning and all this idea, uh, I've been held by Matthew Henry. He's a commentary you can find online pretty free. Old dead guys are good to read, and Matthew Henry is one of them. And he brought in an interesting thought in regard to Hannah's missing of the feast. You know, she's not going up. She was in the, in the habit of going up, and now she's not. She's with Samuel, caring for him. And it relates... Here, women, you might find this interesting, to missing maybe part of the church service to care for the young. He says this. He says, God will have mercy and not sacrifice. Kind of that that realm of God doesn't just want sacrifice, the heart. He says, those that are detained from public ordinances, and so this is a little older writing, I think I hear in there, detained from church, by the nursing and tending of little children may take comfort from this instance. And believe that if they do that with an eye to God, He will graciously accept them therein. And though they tarry at home, they shall divide the spoil. Those are kind of old words, but that is, there is yet blessing in staying home to care for your young. So young moms, take heart here with young children in what Henry's saying. Care for your young. And if in the caring for your young You've got to stay home while they're sick or you've got to miss most of the service because you're caring for them. Take heart. You are doing important work. Huge important work. And even one other application from this is moms, is that as far as you're able to not farm out that work to others, this is your important work to be with your children at such an important time for them to be with your mom. And that's what we see here. Hannah with Samuel. All right, thank you, Matthew Henry. That's a helpful aside. Come back to our text. Verse 23, it seems Elkanah steps in. 
The last time we weren't maybe so impressed, but he was trying to say, I'm better than ten sons to you. Here Elkanah steps in uh, to not only be gracious and work with his wife, he's going to lead her as well. Let's look at that in verse 23. Elkanah, her, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Question here for Elkanah, because he says here, do what seems best to you. This is different than Israel did whatever was right. I don't think he's saying do whatever's right in your eyes. He's saying do what seems best to you. Question kind of might come to your mind. Is he just going along with his wife? And a phrase I really despise, but is Elkanah saying, you know, happy wife, happy life, better just, you know, let her do her thing. And please don't repeat that phrase. I don't like that phrase. Um, it's not always true, I don't think, is it? Um, we need to be gentle, caring for our wives, but is there, it's their happiness in the Lord. So Anyway, we won't go off on that, but I tend to think here, here's a picture of a husband and a wife. They're, they're complementing one another, working together. Again, finding help. Matthew Henry, he writes, so far was he, Elkanah, from delighting to cross her that he, he referred it entirely to her. He says this, Behold how good and pleasant a thing it is when yoke fellows, think of a husband and wife, thus draw even in the yoke and accommodate themselves to one another, each thinking well of what the other does, especially in the works of piety and charity. Elkanah defers to Hannah's judgment here. But he's not without leading her as well. He says, okay, do this seems best, go with it. And he also leads. He gives direction. He says, okay, wait until you've weaned him. Kind of a, a, a leadership there, wait. And then may the Lord establish his word. And I think Elkanah's taking responsibility here to see that Hannah fulfills her vow. Make sure you do this. Wait only the Lord establish your word. So I think Elkanah, he's on board with Hannah, waiting, resting, dwelling at home. But again, there's a limit to the waiting, and her husband helps her set the goal, make sure the goal is out there until he is weaned. But then you you do have this phrase in verse 23, how is Hannah's fulfillment part of this this establishment of God's word? Only may the Lord establish his word. And again, I'll just say, it's not altogether clear which word is Elkanah referring to. What what word of the Lord? Um, I think of a a couple, couple, maybe I could go two ways here. One, it refers to the word of the Lord Maybe we could see it in Hannah's vow. That in a way, as, as long as Hannah makes her vow and her pledge, I'm thinking of verse 11 here, this pledge to the Lord, that it becomes so binding, it's, it's as if it's kind of the word of the Lord. That's an okay explanation. Maybe we see that there, a binding of the vow, possibly. Number two, I, I like this one. It refers to Eli's words to Hannah. They're kind of different, and they don't go to the child growing up, just to his birth, it would seem, but... He says to her in verse 17, and the God, you know, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And I, I think this tends to fit with the context. We're going to see it in verse 27 where Hannah is before Eli. The, the Lord has granted me my petition. And even Eli's role as priest, this representative between God and man or man to God. And so this role as priest, maybe drives us to think Eli's words, words were as if they were this word of the Lord being established. 
Well, Hannah does remain. She nurses Samuel until she's weaned him, to which then the text indicates she brought him up along with other offerings. Look now at verses 25 and 26, where she brings her sacrifice to Shiloh. Uh, When she had weaned him, yeah, 24, I'm sorry, 24 and 25. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child uh, to Eli. Now, there is some, we don't need to get deep, but there's some discussion on the bull here. Uh, depending on which maybe version or what notes you have, it could be a three-year-old bull, so age, or it could be three bulls. If you've got great eyes, you can see your little notes there. Maybe it's three bulls. Maybe it's a three-year-old bull. Uh, translators, they're trying to get to the original. Manu- what, you know, what was said here, uh, Dale Ralph Davis, a great commentator. We've used him in Judges. He says, we can be a bit more bullish here in our opinion. That's his words. All right. He says, uh, in his estimation, the amount of flour. Now, to us, one ephah of flour, we don't really maybe know ephahs, but he says that one ephah of flour was three times what was required as a cereal offering for one bowl, according to Numbers chapter 15. So three, he says then later, three bowls would constitute almost an extravagant offering, but not impossible considering Elkanah's wealth. He could support two wives and Hannah's gratitude. I tend to side with Davis here, not that it matters a whole lot, but that it, it towards three bulls instead of a three-year-old bull, even though you get to verse 25, and it, it sounds like a singular bull there, and maybe there Hannah's sacrificing one, or they're sacrificing one bull, and the other two are left out. Either way, again, we're not, not 100% sure on the bull, but we don't take a lot of time on, on the bulls, do we? Consider here, more so, what Hannah is doing. What is Hannah doing? Think about this. This is, again, the time of the judges. Do you remember a time of the judges? Overall, generally, the state of Israel, often wicked, sinful, everyone doing what was right. Judges ends, everyone doing what was right in their own eyes. There was no king in the land. And here, amidst this, uh, even iniquity and sin in Shiloh, here's Hannah bringing a young child, if he's three years old, to this place. To put it in our day, it's almost like bringing your three-year-old child to maybe a very wayward church, although a church in the heart of Las Vegas, and going, hope, he goes, hope it goes okay. Kind of just leaving him there. And... Hannah is, she's not listed in the the Hall of Faith, chapter 11 in Hebrews, but I think she, just as well, could be there because it took faith to bring her child, I think, to this place. But the same God who allowed her womb to open, remember, her womb was closed, He allowed her womb to open, is the same God who would watch over her three-year-old in the midst of wild and wicked Shiloh. And he's the same God who will watch over your three-year-old or watch over your 20-year-old or your 45-year-old. 
You probably know this by now, but one of my favorite quotes is from Stonewall Jackson where he's on the battlefield and he says, my, my religion teaches me that I am as safe on the battlefield as I am in my own bed. And it looks to this great and sovereign Lord that no matter where, God is there. And so we can entrust our children, like Hannah, to the loving care of the Father who can do a far greater job no matter where they end up. Could it be on the other side of the world? Wherever. And so Hannah here has waited with Samuel. And then once he's been weaned, she's brought him along with the sacrifices to the Lord. Lastly, we come back to before the priest, before Eli. And Hannah gives to the Lord here what she has been granted. Look at verse 26. And she said, And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. Hannah's kind of saying, Do you remember me? And, and her words here uh, are almost like, like an, a sense of an oath. Perhaps it's kind of like, Do you? Do you remember? I was here, maybe it's three, four, three or four years ago. I was weeping. I was in distress. I was praying as surely as you live. Like, it's definitely me. I'm the same woman that was here. I'm testifying. I'm that person. And so then, having addressed him, she makes this beautiful statement in, the la- in two verses here, 27 and 28, that acknowledges what God has done and acknowledges what she intends to do. So look at those verses, 27. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. Now again, Dale Ralph Davis helps us. He says, points out, we ought to read this statement carefully. I'm going to try to help you through it because it's kind of harder to see in English, but there is a Hebrew language wordplay going on kind of all over the place in what she is saying here of asking the Lord God's answers and then of Samuel being forever the the lent one or the asked. It's kind of a hard phrase, asked of one of the Lord. So if you look at verse 27, at least in the ESV, I've got words like uh, petition or me, my petition that I made to him. They're similar, I think, in rooted form to Two words in verse 28, where at least in the ESV, you've got the word lent him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as, he is li- as long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. In Hebrew, there's these four words are pronounced something like um, she'el lati. She'el lati. Where you get, you kind of hear she'el or she'el lati in English. Something similar that helps us here is Samuel or, or Shamuel. Shamuel, and then you've got these Cha'el T, and this is not a, wow, great, now we know how to pronounce those Hebrew words, but that you get a sense of the language. The writing of the, God's Word is beautiful. It's not just we're learning words and things, but the writing of it is involved here. And there's this, there's this theme here of the asked of the Lord, she's asked, He's provided, now he's the ass of the Lord, and, and so forth. So, in other words, the child that Hannah has asked for uh, of the Lord has been given to her. And as we get to verse 28, the boy now was being given back to the Lord. So Samuel is the one asked 
for of the Lord in a way. And one commentary here would want to correct the wording. Maybe if you're reading King James, ESV, you've got lent to the Lord. They say, Jehovah had not lent the son to Hannah, but had given him, verse 11, still less could a man lend his son to the Lord. And so it's helpful. The NIV has given here, NASB, you've got dedicated. Dedicated to the Lord. That's a good way uh, to say it. Dale Ralph Davis says this, Hannah's worship gratefully rehearses Yahweh's gift and places that gift fully at Yahweh's disposal. Okay? Hannah's worship gratefully rehearses Yahweh's gift. She was given a son, a son she had prayed for, and places that gift fully at Yahweh's disposal. He goes on to say, quote, He is made over to Yahweh, as the New Jerusalem Bible renders the clause in verse 28. Think of that in terms of Hannah's child here. The, the gift she had been given in her barrenness, no other children, is now given over, made over to the Lord. I think Hannah was overjoyed at her child, and yet ultimately that child is the asked of by the Lord for God's ultimate purposes. And so Davis writes further of the common ground we might share here. He says, Any parents who are living in covenant with the Lord should find themselves following Hannah in general principle, even if not in precise practice. We should solemnly and passionately desire that each child be made over to Yahweh. His gifts should be given back to Him. And I think you hear in this, at least in part, where our child-parent dedication services come from, but whether or not you formally take, place, take part in one of those formal a dedication of your children, the application is they are a gift to be given back to the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6, interestingly, Ephesians chapter 6, call us, especially fathers, there's a call. Bring up our children. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of who? Of the Lord. That our desire be that our children are made over to the Lord, dedicated to Him in that way. So, this is a contrast of another goal. That our goal is not, my goal, our goal, may your goal, not be their worldly success. Or their triumphs in the area of sports or arts or fill in the blank. It's not necessarily the family they marry into or even the spouse they have. All these things are important. They're part of life. But the duty and call and goal and longing of the Christian parent is that our children are the Lord's and that He be their Lord. Our task fail as we do, is to help them consider what does God have for your life? Who does God, who does God want you to reach out to, to encourage? Where does God want you to serve? To borrow the phrase that really our joy in them would be that all of their life is for all of the glory of God. So I want to ask you, parents even today specifically, are you willing to pray in these ways and more for God to do His will and to have His way among your children. 
which are your children, but they're not really your children, are they? You don't have to... In order to answer that, you don't need to drop off your three-year-old at the back of the church here. That's not what I'm asking, but you get the idea here. You do need to point them, again, fail as we do in the direction of the Lord. We do this by formal instruction, sitting down with the Word. Dads, we're opening. We need to be opening the Word before our family. Here's what God says. That's part of it, formal instruction. But there's also that instruction, the walking, driving, the, the daily living of life. So parents, you are pointing your kids. I think it's one of those phrases that you are. It's just where you're pointing them. It's to the Lord or, hey, if you make it, you can get here. And, and those are good things, you know, be fruitful, multiply, live in this earth. Point them to the Lord most importantly. Well, there's one last little phrase I didn't read, but we read at the end, and it says in the end of verse 28, and he worshiped the Lord there, and he worshiped the Lord there. Now, big question, you're not going to be surprised, we don't have an answer to. Who is worshiping the Lord? Who's the he? Who who is this? Um, I was reading along, I was perfectly fine with Samuel, I guess that was in my mind and my study, and I got to... Uh, you know, I think one good practice is try to read some commentaries after you've spent time. Don't always do that, but after you've spent time studying, then go to other helps, and you go, well, oh, it could be another thing. Maybe it's they. Maybe one ancient manuscript has they. Okay, maybe it's the whole crowd, but some think, well, this is Elkanah. Okay, Elkanah was worshiping the Lord. Could be. Maybe it's Eli or Samuel, and and so it's kind of a toss-up. Could we, could we not say here it, amidst these, could Couldn't it be true of all of them? Could we not say Eli worshipped? Here before him, here's the answer to Hannah's prayer. Eli could be this one. Did did not Elkanah worship? The wife he loved has been given a son, and she's followed through on her vow. She said she was going to do this. And watch her go. She's giving him to the Lord. and Worship. Maybe even little Samuel, little three-year-old Samuel, is worshiping the Lord. Again, it's not clear other than that worship took place. Worship for this answer to prayer and worship as this answer to prayer is then given back to God. In the midst of the message today, I've emphasized parenting a lot here and the giving back of our children to the Lord. I think that's important. His purposes do with them what He wills. But are not the principles true of really anything else that we have been given? I mean, what, what do we have? What do you have that you've not received from the Lord in terms of other things? What, what skills do you have? What talents? What money do you have? What kind of time do you have? What's your occupation? What kind of property do you have? And on and on. What do you have? And what do you have that's not given you from the Lord? So if we see that everything comes ultimately from God, then the question is, what are you doing with His gifts? Will you use these gifts to establish your own glory or His? And So consider today, even in a broad principle, making over, giving all you have to the Lord. And yes, in the arena of entrusting our children to the Lord, but in these other areas as well. 
it's really the heart, if we're not far from Romans, and we're thinking of Romans again, of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, this is not in the Greek, I'm not adding to the word, there's just other ideas, but your talents, your money, your gifts, status, your work, your house, your life, present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Has God called you out of darkness, out of sin and darkness to his light? Then so give him all of your life for his glory. And parents, point your children to that glory as well. Let's pray. Father, the task is huge. And we are often failing in these ways. We could say it. I think we could all say it together. Our children are yours, Lord. Are we walking in that way? Are we forming them? Are we training well? Father, forgive me for where I'm not. Forgive us for where we are not. And Lord, forgive us for where we're pointing them to the earth's treasures that really, in the end, don't satisfy. We need your help in this, Lord. We thank you that you're gracious to us. Your word shows us that. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. And so, as dads and moms, we can go forward. Praise you, Lord, for that grace. And then, Lord, help us to walk. Bring to mind these things that we make over our children to the Lord. We point them to you. And then, Lord, in everything we have, that we say it's yours. Whether it's ours today or it's gone tomorrow, everything is yours. And so may it be used for your glory. Praise the Lord. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.